0: Sława everyone, Sława, Sława Bogom and welcome to yet another episode of Searching for the Slavic Soul which is a podcast made by Vitia. Uh, My name is Magda Lewandowska and today I will be talking about um, I'll be talking about quite a lot of things. Uh, Mostly uh, I'll be dealing with the typical very much judeo-christian views on what is or what should be a role of a woman in the society and i'm going to be analyzing historical and ethnographical sources about slavic native faith to try and figure out what was expected of a woman or a man within the society of our pagan slavic ancestors in order to figure this out i will have to at times approach the topic from um, a strictly biological uh, emotionless point of view which for some people might come across uh, cruel or brutal so let it be your last warning before you continue listening to me today to start with a story told by a writer of the tale of bygone years which is one of the most important primary sources about slavic paganism for those of you who don't know a primary source is a source that was written well if it's a written primary source (laughs) that was written by a person who had direct contact with the subject on which the source is uh, a source i'm not stupid i promise i just haven't done podcasting for a while and i just i guess i just need to warm up um, let me start again a uh, written primary source on slavic paganism is a source written by a person who had direct contact with the original slavic pagans Uh, the tale of bygone years is one of such sources Uh, the issue of who wrote the tale of bygone years is a very complicated one so i won't be going into details here i'm just going to say that the chronicle was written and edited a few times by christian monks who lived around the 11th century of the common era so at times when there were there was still plenty of uh, not christianized slavic pagans in the world the tale of bygone years is often called the primary chronicle and i think this is where i'm going to stop to talk about the tale of bygone years because if i don't i'll be here for another few hours and uh, although the primary chronicle is a super important book for any rodnover or, you know, should be a super important book for any Rodnover. Sadly, some or maybe even most people who call themselves Rodnovers haven't read it and hence don't have a clue. But I'm not going to go there. Let's just conclude. The Tale of Bygone Years is super important. Uh, is a super important chronicle. And this is where we are going to start. So the story goes... In the year of 983, Vladimir the Great, uh, who was a Kniaz, so a prince of Kievan Rus, he wanted to make a sacrifice to the Slavic gods. Uh, he, in order to do that, he talked to Zhercas, so the pagan priests, and they advised him that he should ask the gods what the gods wanted to be sacrificed to them. In order to ask the gods, the has made some divinations, which the Chronicles calls drawing lots. And they came up with the answer, which was uh, that, uh, well, they just said that the, a young Christian man has to be sacrificed to the Slavic gods. And the young man who the Slavic gods wanted was a son of a Varangian who arrived from Byzantium and who was a Christian the varangian in question unfortunately we don't know his name uh, lived in an estate in uh, kiev and by the look of it he was well known to it kind of it reads like he was well known to the żercas and to maybe to vladimir the great too So. After the divination, it was decided that the son of the Varangian would be sacrificed to the Slavic gods and a few boyars, so high-ranking members of Kievan aristocracy, uh, they were sent to the Varangian's estate to fetch the son, his son, the young Christian. It shouldn't come as, as a surprise to us that the Varangian wasn't very keen on giving up his son for a sacrifice, uh, and after the boyars came over to his estate after they explained why they came over the varangian he not only refused to give his son up but he outright just renounced the slavic gods uh, he said obviously that there is only one god the christian one and that he is just not going to make any sacrifices like the varangian is not going to make any sacrifices to any other gods uh, obviously, the Boyars were not pleased, and neither were the people of Kiev. Uh, they proceeded to destroy the Varangians' estate, and when there was only a gallery standing, because you know, some of you might know, uh, the Eastern Slavic houses they they were built in such a way that there was the like ground floor, and the floor above was covered with a gallery that was supported by pillars. And some of these galleries, they were actually quite big. Obviously, they had some defense purposes. I see if I can link up a picture of such a state, so you can have better idea of how it looked. Anyway, there was a only a gallery standing from the whole estate, and on this gallery there was the Varangian and his son, and everything else was destroyed. And this is when the boyars asked the Varangian one more time to give his son up and the varangian refused once more and the people not only the boyars but the you know kievans kievan people they just went furious they demolished the gallery from below the whole construction just collapsed fell down and the varangian and his son they both died so that's the whole story we are starting with you must probably wonder where am i going with it and what the whole thing has to do with woman uh, but just stay with me it will all make sense eventually and i will connect it all to woman because woman is what we are talking about today actually actually it's not woman it's the woman's place in the society because you know how they say we have to put women in their place Otherwise, you know, she doesn't know what to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Rodnovers do it too. Uh, many Rodnovers, uh modern Rodnovers, um claim to know the quote unquote woman's place and they claim that it's uh, you know the place is very like again quote unquote additional and very Rodnoy everyone knows it and it doesn't need to be explained because it's so obvious you know that every woman as they say uh, wants to be a wife and a mother and we like you know the women and girls too are told that all we want and all we really need is a good husband and some kids and voila we're happy and you know we'll be we could even be more happier if we obedient and faithful and we should just you know support our husband and our children and be womanly like ladies pretty nice delicate meek and humble and humbly we are supposed to stay in the shadow of our husband and support him no i have mentioned that being supportive already anyway no point in explaining it. Everyone knows the woman's place and how a woman should be because it's quote tradition unquote. And uh, because it is tradition, Rodnovers, well, some Rodnovers, they really go for it. You know, if you like read up about some of the sect like Rodnovers movements, especially in Russia or in Ukraine you will find some flowers like you wouldn't believe that there is for example this Rodnovery branch called inglis and they claim that a woman is inherently by nature just materialistic creature and in order to achieve any sort of spiritual aspect to herself she just needs a man (laughs) like you know she needs a man to be spiritual because according to English, only men have the ability to connect with the spiritual aspect of the reality and their role uh, the man's role is to lead and the woman's role is to follow there's actually there's also actually i don't remember if it was in the English movement or in some other sect uh, and to be honest, I don't really feel like checking because I've already wasted enough time on, of my life on this guy who claims that a woman has to have like 16 or 13 or something like that children. And that's the only reason she can achieve some sort of spiritual purposes. And, or it was maybe it was supposed to rejuvenate her. Like for every child you get younger or something or maybe it was like if a woman has a child the fact of having yeah if a woman had a child the had the fact of having a child like turns back the clock for her so she gains some years in her life and she lives longer and you know it's obviously it's all bs uh, thought out actually made up yeah i'm not going because there isn't really much thinking going on in here so it couldn't possibly been thought out it's made up by some guys who really don't have better things to do in their lives but you know still we don't have to go to the extreme to the extremist we can stick with the bulk of the average Rodnovers who sadly still mainly see women as mostly mothers and wives Uh, you know they they think that women should be domesticated and you know that they should stay at home and have children and do like needlework or cooking or you know other like traditionally female activities but it wasn't like that in the olden days it really wasn't it wasn't about the needlework and cooking for our ancestors because all our ancestors cared for and all they could care for was surviving making it to another day another spring and another harvest and in order to do that in order to survive our ancestors needed you know food obviously needed some form of shelter a a house or like a grud which is like a little you know township i suppose you could call that Uh, and obviously they needed children because otherwise you know if they didn't have children they would just die out and clearly they didn't die out because we are here so slavs pre-christian medieval slavs they must have had children and plenty of them in order to survive because back then it was all about surviving and you know the first two elements of surviving so the food and the shelter it could be provided or found or gathered or you know built by pretty much anyone in order to provide food or shelter one just had to be like you know had to have hands actually not really hands just had to have one hand to be able to to do something and some mode of transportation so either legs or i don't know a cart pulled by a donkey or something but you know in order to get children is not actually such an easy thing to do not everyone can make children because to bear children to give birth to children one has to have a healthy uterus and at least one functioning ovary and obviously a birth canal through which the baby comes out so is not that straightforward thing babies is not such a straightforward thing to get as food or shelter making babies is not easy at all Uh, i'm not talking here obviously about the you know the sexual act the like act of fertilization which you know for some might seem easy but if you look into the papers on human sexuality and sex education you'll be really surprised how little people know about this topic (laughs) but you know i'm not talking about the sexual intercourse part of getting pregnant what i'm talking about is that you know it wasn't easy to get pregnant and to be pregnant and to give birth in the medieval ages i've talked about it a few times in few previous episodes of searching for the Snavic soul but for those who only now started to listen to us to me um, i'm going to repeat a bit because it's really really important i think that modern Rodnovers realize how hard the life of our ancestor was especially the life of our female ancestors because the mortality related to childbearing was huge in the medieval ages five percent of women died while giving birth and you know further 15 percent died shortly after from infections or bleeding some i guess could die from broken heart because in the pre-industrial times one third of newborn babies did not make it to their fifth birthday and i don't even want to talk about it think about it how horrendous it must have been or is it is to have to organize funeral rituals for a child and the five and at this rate you know one third of them i mean it's just terrible to think about it but that was the day-to-day life of our ancestors and uh, those horrible things only happen if the woman managed to get pregnant because actually getting pregnant wasn't such a straightforward thing either if you look at modern times uh, infertility is a big problem nowadays but it's not actually a b- as, as big problem as it used to be because many issues that historically caused infertility are either treatable or, would you believe it, preventable with vaccinations. In case you don't know, the common children infections like mumps, for example, can cause infertility. And now we can get vaccination against it unless you are an anti-vaxxer and you don't get vaccinated but then hopefully you get mumps and get infertile and won't spread your genes actually no because anti-vaxxers don't get mumps because they were vaccinated as children the children of anti-vaxxers get mumps and that is very very sad because those children through no fault of their own can potentially end up infertile just because their parents were stupid which is very sad but this is not what we're talking about today we're talking about infertility Uh, i was talking about infertility so mumps could cause infertility and also infertility could be caused by a whole range of other infections like tuberculosis which by the way you can get vaccinated for that is the last time i mentioned vaccination i well I won't promise that because a Slav should not make promises lightly. But I am going to try to stay on the topic, even though it's my pet peeve, the anti-vaxxers. Anyway, other than mumps and tuberculosis, other infections that can cause infertility obviously are STDs. And then you can have various urinary tract infections or inflammatory conditions could also cause infertility not eating right could make a person infertile so if you don't get enough calories and enough enough nutrition in your body you can get infertile from that all sorts of traumas all sorts of congenital defects lots and lots of things could make a human infertile and you know nowadays we can either treat these things or screen for these things but back in the early medieval ages it wasn't the case So our ancestors had to figure out how to identify fertile individuals and how to put them to work at making babies as soon as possible, as soon as they could start making babies and for as long as possible. Because of the huge mortality rates, our ancestors have to give birth to lots of babies so enough of those babies can survive to adulthood and take over making new babies so the whole population doesn't die out. So, how do you test for fertility without modern screening tests? Well, you just try to get a girl pregnant and see what happens. You get the girl as early as possible, so shortly after the first menstruation, you get her married, so she has some support when she's pregnant and hopefully later too. And after that, you just keep your fingers crossed. If the girl gets pregnant and gives birth to a healthy baby, that's a score, Is just brilliant, you're very proud, you're very happy and you get the girl to do it again and again and again for as long as she can. But if the girl does not get pregnant or what's worse, but unfortunately what happened a lot in the early medieval times, if she gets pregnant but then dies, while giving birth or miscarrying for example well such is life such was life back then still at least you knew that the girl was not fertile so she didn't have to waste any more of her life or resources on trying to achieve something that clearly wasn't meant to be and i am absolutely fully aware how terrible it sounds i really am This is why I gave you the warning at the beginning, but it's very important that we know exactly how things looked back then because there's so much misconception and delusions believed about life in Middle Ages. It's not even funny. You know, there are people, lots of people, lots of Rodnovers too, who really, truly believe that living in a natural way is better and and happier and healthier and it is so not because if you take away the modern medicine the hygiene running water central heating and you know unlimited food supply if, if you take out all the civilization out of our lives this is what you are left with with people dying like flies from the most natural things like giving birth or getting pregnant and you know girls had it really hard back then but it actually wasn't much easier for boys because when the girls were being screened for fertility boys had to prove that they were worth to spread their genes because in case you did not know among our pre-christian slavic ancestors marriages were not arranged among peers the wife the girl was young and the husband wasn't a boy at all he was a grown-up accomplished man who had to pay dearly for the privilege of having a fertile wife because fertile wives were in a short supply so just any boy off the street couldn't have a wife he had to pay for it and to pay for it he had to work his ass off for years or even decades to gather enough wealth so he can afford a wedding gift so he can get a wife and let me remind you the whole system of getting married you know girl early boy late was set up so lots of children can be born so the population does not die out but we people in the 21st century we are doing a lot of things but dying out ain't one of them we are not dying out there is over 8 billion people living in the world right now and this number keeps getting bigger every year by i think it's one percent or something like that just to give you a comparison, it is estimated that back in the early medieval ages, there was under 300 million people living in the entire world. And in Central Europe, where many of our Slavic ancestors lived, the whole population in the Central Europe in the 11th century was 2.3 million. 2.3 million in the whole Central Europe. There is more people living in Paris right now. So basically what I want to say, we are not dying out. We don't need more children. So why the heck we expect women to have more children? I honestly don't know. And to make it even more funny, we want the women to have children, but we don't want to look after their children. There's like whole i don't know online groups harassing girls or women who want to have abortions these pro-life groups that you know if you only mention the word abortion they are after you but all those groups care about is the fetus really because once the girl or woman uh, has the child that's it it's not the problem of the pro-life people anymore And those pro-life, let's just call them properly, these pro-life bullies, after they're done with bullying the, the girl or the woman into not having an abortion, they don't just leave her be. They actually pass her over to the next group of bullies who have another go at her for, you know, you name it, for being a single mother or teenage mother or a mother of too many children or a mother that is not well off or a mother that is mentally ill because really there are always people out there ready and willing to have a go at girls and women for being whatever or not being whatever for some reason women can just be left alone they have to be criticized at all times and for everything and i'm just not going to say anything more because i can feel another rant coming and i just don't want to do it anymore i'm too old to get worked up like that so pre christian slavs at least at least they were consistent they wanted the girl to get pregnant they wanted her to have the child and after she had the child the whole system was set up in place so the child was looked after actually the mother and the child or children were looked after the whole system was set up so the wife slash mother and the children so the future generations of the society are cared and provided for including testing the future husbands on how suitable they were to actually provide for a family and really no wonder if we look at how important the pregnant woman were for the family or clan or tribe or all the Slavic people it, it's you know it's it's absolutely obvious it's expected that the whole community was looking after them. Everyone was helping out and supporting the making of the future generations of Slavs. And it wasn't only the men or the husbands who were supporting the pregnant woman, the, the not pregnant woman also supported the pregnant woman. Because regardless of what traditional rodnovery preachers want you to believe, there are and there have always been women that are not pregnant, don't want to be pregnant, and are not interested in getting even married. Really, that's the God's honest truth. Not every single woman wants to have a husband and children. Obviously, you know, there were, there also are the, the women who, you know, maybe want. To have children but cannot have children and the, the this woman they always have been around they not an abomination or a rarity they just people whose ovaries or uteruses don't function that well and that's it and by the way i want to say out there loud to every single person affected by infertility and Every single person who just doesn't want to have children. There is nothing wrong with you. You are perfect as you are. It's not a curse. It's not your fault. You're not wrong. You're not selfish. It is what it is. It's a part of who you are. And I, I'm just going to say it. Personally, I kind of sometimes envy you. Sometimes... Because I, I, you know, I don't want to have any more children. I have one child to whom I barely managed to give birth to. Um, You know, giving birth to my daughter was absolutely horrendous. I never want to do it again. And, uh, you know, actually I never really wanted to have children. I'm not a maternal type at all. Uh, My daughter wasn't planned. I didn't want To have children or start a family Uh, well she knows it my daughter knows it so don't panic i'm not hanging out uh, dirty laundry here Um, but what i want to say is that having brought up one child i really cannot comprehend how people can want to have children because it's hard it's hard hard work it's so hard bringing up children is so hard that most of the time you're just too tired to enjoy the enjoyable bits uh, you know having children is definitely over advertised it does not look like what you see on the telly It's not fluffy It's not pink It's not warm It's not soft it stings of poo it's full of vomits and snot and it's loud and plenty of insomnia involved and I honestly believe that bringing up my daughter gave me some sort of trauma because my daughter's nearly 16 years now and I still kind of subliminally worry when it's quiet at home. (laughs) I find it hard to relax because subconsciously I still think that when it's quiet she's up to something no good. Uh, still she turned out okay so at least one good thing that came out of it but i'm not going to lie to you by claiming that it was my doing that she turned out okay Uh, my family my friends co-workers my daughter is amazing and most awesome childminder and her teachers all those people like literally the whole village contributed to my daughter turning out okay so it's not easy to give birth to a child and it's even more difficult to bring up this child properly so anyway to all those people that don't have children don't plan to have children or cannot have children good for you just live your life and enjoy it there is too many people on the planet earth anyway you don't have to suffer it's it's not what they tell you it is it's hard having said all of that the 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 role of a wife slash mother that many Rodnovers nowadays think is one and only role a woman should take in the society of our ancestors this role was reserved for women who were fertile and wanted to get married and have children but apart of the fertile women who wanted children they were also other women they were they must have been women who were infertile and could not have children as well as women who did not want to be wives and mothers and herbal remedies were very well known to pre-christian slavs there is absolutely no reason to think that slavic women did not use herbs as birth control. Actually, there is many reason to think that they did. If you look at Slavic folk songs, many of them tell stories of premarital romantic heterosexual relationships and, would you believe, there is always rue mention and rue is a herb that, if used right, causes miscarriage so we have folk songs very old folk songs about a girl and a boy that are not married that love each other are together and in the background there is rue. it's growing or it's being picked up or woven into a wreath or you know planted or so so there's rue everywhere in the context of heterosexual premarital romantic relationships there is also a lot mentioned in written sources some of the primary sources mention termination of pregnancies or even infanticide so killing newborn babies as a way of planning family so basically what i'm saying here is that family planning or birth control methods were well known among pre-christian slavs and no wonder they were known because contrary to christian pagan woman called a part of being wife slash mother they could also be something else Pagan Slavic women had other than a mother slash wife socially accepted roles available to them. We know, for example, that pre-Christian Slavic women could be rulers like Libusha, who was a daughter of Kroc. He was a Bohemian ruler from very early medieval times. And uh, Libusha also founded Prague, the capital of modern Czech Republic. There was Olga of Kiev, who was a female ruler of Kievan Rush uh, before the times of Vladimir the Great. Uh, Pre Christian Slavic women could also be spiritual leaders like Princess Teta, who was another daughter of Krog. And Cosmas of Prague, a historian, he wrote she was a shrewd woman <laughs> who taught foolish and ignorant people to worship and venerate the spirits of trees and rivers and she established an entire religion along with its sacrilegious rituals. So she was a terrible woman, this Theta, clearly pagan spiritual leader. There's also in other written sources, like in, uh, for example, in hagiographies of some saints, one of them was Otto von Bamberg and the other one was Wen Keslaus? I honestly don't know how to pronounce it. They mentioned Slavic pagan priestesses as well. The historical sources also indicate that pagan Slavic women could be, as we would call it today, scholars of natural sciences which back in the medieval times was called being a witch. So they were women who studied healing, for example, or herbal medicine. And another daughter of Croc, the oldest daughter of Croc, was one of the witches. Her name was Kazi and she was a famous healer and she was also skilled in spell casting. So women who were healers, they were called in the historical sources, they called witches, they were mentioned in pretty much every single medieval sermon that was preached to the pagan Slavs, which indicates that witchcraft was a very popular activity among our ancestors. There are historical sources that indicate that Slavic women could, if they wanted, be warriors too. There's a chronicle of John. I'm sure I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation of his surname. Uh, He was a Greek historian. Uh, He was called John Skeletus. Skeletus. He was a historian. And in his chronicles, he wrote that um, bodies of female warriors were found on the battlefield during the siege of Doroloston. Then there were Slavic female warriors were also mentioned in the writing of uh, Leo the Deacon, another historian, and Nikephoros of Constantinople. Cosmas of Prague, the one that wrote so lovely about the shrewd princess Theta, he also wrote about the Maidens' War, which was was an uprising of women against men and the leader in this maiden's war was a kick-ass female warrior called sharka and her legend actually is still very much alive in czech republic obviously the whole maiden's war was uh, plenty of female warriors so there's no reason for us to suspect that women couldn't be fighters so if we look into the history It very quickly becomes very obvious that pre-Christian Slavic women not only had control over their own reproduction rights, but they also had options. They did not have to be wives and mothers. They could pretty much be whatever they wanted. So the question is, why on earth did they decide to stay at home, to be stay-at-home wives? comparing to being a healer or a witch or even a warrior why would anyone decide to be a stay-at-home wife and this is where the story from the beginning of this episode becomes relevant you remember the Varanjan and the boyars and the story from the tale of bygone years did you at any point when I was telling you the story did you start to wonder why did the boyars went over to the Varangian's estate I did I did wonder about it a lot since kind of the very first time I read this story because really if you if if the boyars just wanted the Varangian son they could easily have kidnap him they could kidnap him they like off the street or break into the estate overnight and take him from there or something like that really if you want to get someone's son to slaughter the son on the altars on the slavic gods i think that going in officially <laughs> being open about it it might be the worst possible way of getting it done unless of course you either don't expect the slaughtering request to be refused or need the sacrificial person to consent to the slaughtering or both. So really the fact that the boyars actually took time to talk to the Varangian, ended up crushing the estate, killed both the father and the son and still did not get the sacrificial human to slaughter, all of this means that they needed either the son or the father or both to agree to the slaughtering also the fact that the boyars went over there and openly talk about what they want to do with the son of the Varangian, they clearly expected to be heard and understood if it was not customary to hear such request they they wouldn't have been open about it right it just makes no sense otherwise i mean there's no way for us to know how things were like back in the medieval ages maybe the żercas or the żercas representative went over to the house of the chosen victim not victim the, the chosen sacrificial human and then i don't know maybe you could negotiate your way out of being sacrificed maybe it was possible to offer a slave instead of yourself or a few oxen or something but by the look of it it was expected that the person chosen to be a sacrifice will be happy or at least accepting or understanding about it that he or she would understand and accept the need to sacrifice herself or himself for the benefit and upon request of the community which is in a way backed up by other sources on slavic culture Uh, if we look for example at the slavic demonology it's pretty obvious that being selfish and not caring about the community was a sign of demonic possession or influence you could actually recognize a demon by the selfish not community oriented behavior of a human so There was lots of demons that made a human behave selfishly uh, but I'm just going to focus on, on one because I'm talking too much today anyway so I'm just going to speed things up. So there was this demon called Mamuna. It was a female demon who lived in the forest and who liked to steal human babies or children. When Mamuna stole a child she left her own child behind I guess hoping that the humans won't realize but apparently it was really easy to recognize uh, this Mamuna's child so the changeling left by Mamuna because the changeling the demonic child was ugly skinny uh, very fussy it was a crybaby and also the changeling was always hungry and was very lazy too so basically ugly whingy greedy and lazy which kind of narrows it down to a few people i used to know but never mind it was a demon (laughs) demonic change demonic changeling and you could cure this demonic disease i suppose i can call it a disease and a way of kind of curing a changeling from being a demon was to put the changeling on a heap of manure and then hit it with sticks and that made the mamuna so the mother of this changeling to be worried about her baby and she would come back take her changeling home and bring the original child back you could recognize that the swap happened because the lazy and wingy creature suddenly after being hit <laughs> with sticks on a heap of a manure <laughs> suddenly ch- turned like change back into a hard-working and helpful young slav so here you go if you know a lazy whingy ugly person you know what to do to help them out well anyway again it seems that pre-christian slavs actually thought that the needs of the family or the community the needs of others they are more important than the needs or even the life of an individual which is kind of scary if you think about it like why would you want to live with people who think that they are more important than you it's like living in communistic china in the times of mao i mean who would want this so really why did slavs as individuals want that why did they want to live with people who pretty much thought that they are entitled to slaughter you for the greater good, for the good of the community. And for us, I'm sure, is a valid question, but if you look at the standards of living and the reality of early medieval ages, it actually makes perfect sense. Because, you know, nowadays we all have the protection of the universal human rights, which are the law we i hope all live in democratic countries that are ruled by law that have police and plenty of responsible citizens and some sort of social care and stuff but so was not the case in the medieval ages back then if you were a loner if you did not have family and some friends you lived a very short life indeed and it was a miserable life too because you had nobody to help you out one long winter you eat all your food and you are dead because you have nobody to share their food with you some critters in your pantry ate all your food and you're dead you get ill in the time of harvest you cannot collect the grain from the fields you're dead With no family, neighbors or members of clan or tribe, you cannot defend your land. And, you guessed it, you're dead. If you were a member of a clan or a family that had laws and code of honor, you could present yourself to outsiders as a member of your clan and family by, I don't know, wearing some type of clan clan clothing or other symbols and then you could hope that the other people won't hurt you because if your clan had a rule that they pay for blood with blood and they followed this rule, chances were that people would think twice before hurting you because they would be scared of your clan or family's revenge. If you really think about it, it very quickly becomes obvious that without a community of people that works together, supports each other and follows the same rules, there wouldn't be any cities, there wouldn't be any trade, there wouldn't be any safe trade routes. So, if it wasn't for the community of the Slavs, there wouldn't be Kiev there would not be any safe route from Byzantium to Kiev so the Varangian wouldn't have been able to travel from Byzantium to Kiev wouldn't be able to settle down in an estate in Kiev in a wealthy city under the protection of Vladimir the Great so by refusing to even acknowledge the request of the community of Kiev the Varangian from the tale of bygone years he not only offended the slavic gods but he totally disrespected the effort of generations of slavs who worked hard for years to get kiev to be what it was in the year of 983 and if you look at the community like that suddenly it is really not that surprising that slavs were not loners if they were members of a community at least they stood a chance to survive for a little bit longer maybe long enough to see their beloved child getting married or to see their own grandchildren and you know i bet that they really did think that the price of being a part of a community was worth it But if you look closely, our modern society is not really that different. You know, the the, the microphone I am speaking to now, it is not a particularly good microphone, not particularly expensive, but the whole fact of its existence proves to me how amazing human societies can be. Because in order for this microphone to exist, someone had to invent it first so someone had to go to the uni or learn engineering at home but still from some sort of textbooks produced by an academic by academia so at the university so universities had to develop and that is a hundred percent generation after generation society effort to develop universities you know how much stability and wealth a society has to produce and maintain in order to get an idea and resources and you know time to develop a university. And it's not only the uni- university in a microphone, it's all the little parts and cables that had to be made, somehow uh, transported from one place to another, and, and put together by somebody and and the fact that it has a usb connection a standardized one so i can plug the microphone in my computer and it works like my computer was made by a different manufacturer basing on a different design it was made by different people but still my computer and my microphone can work together this level of standardization is mind-blowing And it's 100% without a doubt the achievement of society. And you know, I bet that the Rodnoveri preachers that preach on how toxic the modern society is to Slavic women or, you know, Slavic soul in general, I bet they also use computers and electricity and internet and they enjoy all the perks of the modern society they have running water in their houses and they have toilets and they have roofs over their heads and they can leave their houses and go to a shop or i don't know take a day trip to the seaside using a train or driving a car down the motorway so the preachers they have all the luxuries only because a while ago, a group of people had an idea of inventing plumbing and building regulations and trade networks and decent roads that don't turn into muddy puddle in the spring. And those people who had all these ideas, they talk to other people and convinced them that we should make it or build it or invent it. And guess what? They did! And every single one of us is benefiting from it. It's not really that surprising that modern people don't actually see, they are not aware what other people do for them. Because our society is very specialized and so complex and also because people tend to get used to nice things very easily so we don't really think that water in our toilet or electricity in our house is something amazing i mean it's just normal isn't it but if you look at it from the perspective of history or even from the perspective of the whole planet plumbing (laughs) and electricity are absolutely unique luxuries that even nowadays many people don't have those who do have it for these people it's normal and we only notice it when it's not there because it's not only currents who complain when there is a problem with power of water supply i mean really if a blackout is happening or the water is cut off what is your first thought is it oh i hope that the people who supply my water and electricity i hope they are okay they've been doing such a good job they deserve a bit of a rest <laughs> uh, you know, somehow i doubt it somehow i suspect that most of us go like what the fuck it is it's 21st century and i'm sitting here like in medieval ages or you know something along the lines like what do they think the electricity or water company i pay them and they cannot even provide a decent service or something like that but if you think about it these people up in the electricity company they don't actually have to provide their service to you they could just the system pack up their things and go traveling or i don't know start a farm feed themselves and their family from the land they don't actually have to study to get all these electrical qualifications They do not have to go out in the middle of the night to fix the cause of the blackout. They never had to. They, as every single of our ancestors, every single member of every single human society that ever existed, they made a choice to do more than just look after themselves. They made a choice to help each other to cooperate and to build something that protects and provides for all of us. But when you, like most of the listeners of this podcast, live in a Western world, within a society as specialized and as complex as ours, you tend to think that what you have, you've earned yourself. All the luxuries, not even plumbing or internet, but human rights, your freedom, 76 years without a war. We tend to take it all for granted. So it's no wonder, really, that the quote unquote traditional Rodnovers see the modern world as toxic. Because if you start from an entitled place where you are blind to the level of the privileges you inherited as a member of the western society it's so much easier to reject and renounce everything that requires you to make some effort like thinking seeing things for what they are or realizing that what women do with their lives is really truly not your damn problem what i think is the problem of those traditional rodnovers is the same thing all over again they cannot tell apart an idea from a form that is used to express this idea it is the same story like with sacrifices or prayers or rituals i've talked about in the first three episodes of searching for the slavic soul those traditional rodnovers don't see they refuse to understand why the original slavic pagans made the sacrifices they made performed the rituals they performed and prayed for the things they did they don't see for example that praying for fertility of the land was absolutely bloody essential in the early medieval ages when from one seed put in the ground a farmer at the time of harvest could gather two or three seeds while to give you an idea of how the farming productivity increased nowadays one seed produces i think 40 to 50 seeds like so much more so back then in the medieval ages it was absolutely essential to pray for the fertility of the land but nowadays when we waste significant amount of food we produce anyway praying for even more food is there i say using judeo-christian terms a blasphemy it's offending the gods similarly among the pre-Christian pagan Slavs, a fertile woman who was willing to get married and risk her life to give birth to children, she could absolutely do that. But equally, if she couldn't or didn't want to get married, she could do something else. If she was physically able and willing to become a warrior, she could absolutely be one and the society supported her you know a blacksmith made her a sword somebody else trained her to fight if she was smart enough to study the law of healing or witchcraft she served her community with her remedies and spells and if she was wise and knowledgeable enough and had enough political power she could take it upon herself to serve her people as a leader so basically what am i saying here is that the place of slavic woman is and has always been exactly the same as the place of a slavic man or child or elder or every single member of the slavic community and this place is and has always been where she or he or them can contribute the most to the prosperity of their community that's it so it is about being supportive and helpful it is about serving but not your husband or you know men in general it's about being supportive and helpful to others to the society the community it's about serving the common good that's eat and that's all for today that was long i hope it wasn't too long i've enjoyed it quite a bit and i hope you too um if you but if you didn't if there is something that you didn't like or you don't agree with do let us know Uh, you can contact us through vts website facebook instagram youtube channel or even via email uh, instead of boring you with spelling out the email address, I'm just going to link it all up uh, in the notes for this podcast so you can find it there and uh, for now, um thank you so much for listening. Do take care of yourself and others as much as you can uh stay safe and suava.